The Future by Stefan Molyneux Chapter 18 David turned to Roman. You're one of the only people to ever witness that kind of... negotiation. Roman stared at him. Holy hell! I don't really know what to say. Wait, is it true? The virus? More mRNA, really. Roman nodded. David smiled. Why would that matter? Roman gasped, Lord above. He shook his own head slowly, rubbing his grey stubble. David leaned forward slightly. It's the extended family thing, isn't it? That did kind of take me by surprise, yeah. You consider it unjust? Harsh? Immoral? That was my initial impression, or emotion. David nodded slowly. You came here thinking I am weak, that we are weak. And you've good reason to, given the history of morality. You also criticize us for our universalism, for universally preferable behavior, the foundation of our society. And again, you have good reason to, given the rather sad history of ethics, how it always got overpowered by the ruthless and the violent. But this is a new world, and we learned something essential through the cataclysms. Nothing that could make those awful decades worthwhile, but sometimes in life or in history, the best you can do is extract the greatest good from the existing horrors. Roman sighed, rubbing his face. My God, man, you really do dance around a topic. David smiled. In the past, universal morals were absolute in the abstract, usually commanded by God, and thus were not conditioned by relationships. We take a different approach. Treat people the best you can when you first meet them. After that, treat them as they treat you. He raised his fists. If you're in a boxing match and someone starts hitting below the belt, what do you do? Well, according to UPB, you're no longer obligated to respect the rules of boxing because your opponent has stopped respecting them. Historically, universal morality has always lost because it refused to adapt to the lowest standards of its opponents. The lesson we so painfully learned from the cataclysms was that morality is not an absolute, but a relationship. Roman started as if someone had touched his spine with electricity. David pursed his lips. I know, it's a startling idea. The moment we talk about morality as a relationship, people think it becomes relative and subjective and loses the name of ethics. The purpose of modern morality... Wait, let me give you a classical example. You say that lying is immoral. A man breaks into your house, you confront him, and your wife hides. He demands to know where your wife is. Do you lie to him? Or kill him? David smiled. Play with me here like children play, which is to say very seriously. He has a weapon, you don't insert something that means you can't kill him. Do you lie to him? Roman snorted. Of course. Ah, so lying is not always immoral, so it is not an absolute rule. Everything becomes relative and subjective and nothing can be moral anymore, right? It's the same with other situations where someone says, can a starving man steal a loaf of bread? If you say yes, then you agree that life is more important than property which led to the welfare states of the old world. If you say no, well, then you're a heartless person who would rather keep a loaf of bread and watch a man die. Roman scowled. 
This is why I steer clear of abstractions and keep my weapons handy. I agree. Most moral abstractions were just a form of pickpocketing that led to, well, a society not unlike your own in many ways, which I am opposing here and will try to convince you to abandon, impossible though that probably seems to you at the moment. Roman's eyes narrowed. You are welcome to try. To take the first example, if we say that lying is immoral, then we can contrive a situation where it would be wrong to tell the truth, to tell the criminal where your wife was. Then we have paralyzed universalism and destroyed morality. However, if we look at morality as a relationship rather than an absolute, it's not even a problem. You just have to ask, is the thief a moral person? Morality is a relationship that rewards morality. It is not an absolute that the immoral will always use to exploit you. You don't owe the murderous thief the truth because he has a gun to your head. If you offer me a Satoshi for an apple, but I don't actually have an apple, are you still obligated to give me the Satoshi? Of course not. Morality is like an economic transaction. The obligation is created only when both people act honorably and honestly. If you have a friend who has reliably and honorably told you the truth for years, then you owe him the truth. He has earned honesty by being honest. But you don't owe honesty to just anyone and everyone you meet on the street. If you've borrowed Satoshis from a friend, and then he asks you at some point to lend him some, you have some obligation based on your prior history, but you don't have an obligation to lend Satoshis to everyone who asks you. Morality is like a Bitcoin wallet. You have to make deposits in order to have withdrawals. Removing morality from relationships and turning it into axiomatic absolutes was the goal of evildoers who wanted to have a way to control moral people. Give people absolutes and you have a perfect mechanism to control them. If life is more important than property, then you can steal money from them with the goal, you claim, of giving it to the poor and thus saving lives with their excess money. If life is more important than property, how can they oppose your plan? David shrugged. They can't, of course. And so you gain control over what used to be called trillions of dollars, I guess. It's a pretty good payoff. But of course, that led to the cataclysms and the destruction of the old world, at least on most of the planet. Well, said Roman, that's how we do it. What, charity? Yeah, we use the word accurately. If someone needs charity, we have three simple rules. The first is that they cannot have been the creator of their own disaster. The second is that it has to be both temporary and humiliating. And the third is that he has to pay it back as soon as possible. David smiled. So, you wouldn't let someone hold a knife to a hunter's throat to get food? If the hunter were troublesome enough, we might. David laughed. <laughs> so, when it comes to negotiating with Attica, we are trying to avoid war, or more specifically terrorism, which is the way that most conflicts are handled in the modern world, because the weaponry has become so extreme. The reason... I am perfectly justified in threatening his entire family. It's because if he started a war, thousands or millions of children would get killed. If he subsidized terrorism, it might be dozens or hundreds, perhaps, children killed, you know. 
if he escalates to armed conflict in any way, how many children and their mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and cousins would be maimed or killed? Why on earth would we not target his bloodline since he would doubtless target ours? We don't get anywhere. In fact, we lose continually if we try to maintain higher standards than our opponents. If there's one thing that the cataclysms taught us, it is that losing is absolutely unacceptable. David's voice grew cold and hard. And you could see exactly that kind of crap that he was trying to pull during our negotiations. He kept saying that he could control us because of our respect for property rights and human life and children. He was trying to use our morality against us, which immediately means that we have no reason to be moral with him, to extend moral protections to him. What he was doing is about as evil as things can get, as evil as a person can be in that he respects and recognizes morality, but uses it to pursue evil ends. A doctor has to be the most trustworthy protector of human life because he knows how to kill patients with almost no possibility of being caught. It's the same with morality. Attica understands morality very well and chooses to use it against moral people, imagining that we learned nothing from the cataclysms and would just be captured and subjugated and enslaved by that morality which is designed to give us liberty, security, and power. Again, Romans started. David stared at him. If someone wants to start a war, you target their entire bloodline. Of course you do. First of all, it will prevent the war from being started, which will save thousands or millions of lives. And secondly... He has no right to condemn us for putting innocent people at risk since he is willing to start a war with the most fantastic and indiscriminate weapons, including terrorism, which will target millions of innocent people. This sad and pathetic idea that you become evil by doing evil to evil is a stranger saying that you become sick by killing a murderous virus. Doing evil to evil is good. UPB is often misunderstood as an ethical system with abstract absolutes that enslave everybody, a a kind of computer program that takes away moral free will. But we have moral free will because we need to evaluate individual situations according to the virtues and the vices of those we interact with. I have a relationship with Attica, and we'll have one until the day one of us dies. UPB... It's not like a train track or or a set of rules that everyone has to follow no matter what because that would be to turn human beings into machines, into slaves, said Roman. David scowled, oh, come on, don't be such a troll. You can't enslave machines. They don't have free will or morality or human consciousness or anything like that. Let's not waste time with silly statements. Roman shrugged as if to say, okay, have it your way. With an effort, David dropped his irritation. UPB defines universal morality. We can get to that later if you want. But it doesn't say anything as silly and nonsensical as violence is bad. If it did, then we would lose the right of self-defense. The use of violence is a relationship. If someone is not initiating violence against you, you owe them peace. 
if someone is initiating violence against you, you can blow their head off or arm. You see, it's a relationship, not an absolute. Someone willing to use violence cannot morally complain if violence is used against him, just as a thief cannot morally complain if someone steals his stolen goods. I can't go steal someone's phone. But if he steals my phone, I can damn well steal it back. If they only have property by violating property rights, I don't have to respect their property rights, since they don't actually exist. Attica was stealing several bitcoins worth of fish, a staggering sum. And he was doing it with the specific goal of provoking a military conflict that would give him internal political unity. He wanted to wage war against us to establish further brutal controls at home. Damn right! I will threaten his entire family line. That is the approach with the greatest chance of saving the most lives and helping those he has enslaved through his government. If he is willing to kill our families for his own petty political goals, why on earth would we be unwilling to kill his family? David sighed. No. Moral considerations are earned through moral actions, just as income is earned through productivity. I would risk my life to protect those I love. I would much rather risk the lives of others to protect those I love, though. Love is our involuntary relationship to virtue, if we are virtuous. Hatred is our involuntary response to evil if we are virtuous. I hate Attica. I hate his system. I hate his politics. I hate his manipulation and threats. My goal, my sole goal, both personally and professionally, is the protection of the innocent, the salvation of the virtuous. And frankly, I don't care whose face I step on to achieve that. Roman cocked his head to one side. Yet you are negotiating with me. By your words, I am evil. I negotiated with Attica. Roman leaned forward, if you can call it that. But you are not threatening my bloodline. Roman. You are not evil, said David simply. You exist in a state of nature. Morality is a form of technology. No one blames a doctor from a thousand years ago for not prescribing antibiotics or a bot clean. The technology simply did not exist. It had to be brought into existence, and it had to be proven, and then people had to be educated about it. After a certain amount of time, and only after that time, could we call a doctor bad for failing to prescribe a proven and known cure? You are unaware of the modern technology of morality. You do not have moral free will as yet because you have not heard and debated the arguments. David put his hand on the older man's forearm. Roman flinched as if shocked. Genuinely mean this. You are not evil. You are not immoral. You are not even violent. A thousand years ago, they put leeches on people to cure them. They believed in humors and didn't even know that the blood circulated around the body. 
go even further back, and millions of people thought that dancing controlled the rain. David held up his hands. Please, don't take this as an insult. I don't mean it that way. If we were out in your land and, and you were teaching me how to hunt, I wouldn't take it as an insult. If I don't know how to hunt, I don't actually have the free will to decide to capture or kill an animal. If I don't have a fish hook and bait, it's pretty hard for me to fish. I'm not trying to insult you any more than you would be insulting me by pointing out my deficiencies as a hunter, which I guarantee you would be considerable. This society, the sieve, is based on a relatively new modern moral understanding. It, it's as big a breakthrough as the scientific method was a thousand years ago. And you are not to blame for existing in a state of nature, which humanity has for 150,000 years. You don't know what you don't know. Roman gestured at the empty table. But isn't that true of Attica as well? David paused. <laughs> what you saw with Attica was the result of months of him refusing to listen to reason. I very much hope that you and I can avoid that fate. Roman opened his mouth to reply when a young woman with startling green eyes materialized at the far end of the table. The older warrior jumped back in his chair, reaching for his non-existent weapon. He snarled, How do you get used to that? David smiled. The same way you get used to sleeping in the woods, I suppose. But look at her eyes and mouth. Roman squinted, leaning forward. She had ancient mottled coins over her eyes and a zipper over her mouth. She also wore the earmuffs he had seen earlier. David smiled. You can customize these for everyone. This is my assistant. She can't see or hear us yet. Unlock Sasha, he commanded. The coins, zipper and earmuffs all disappeared, and the woman spoke. David, Attica has indicated he will get back to us before the end of business today, but we've had a request for a sudden review of the... Angle family, by their kids. Okay, now they have that right per the contract. David sighed. Oh, I hate these ones. But, okay, we will be right over. Please ask them if an observer is permitted. Sasha nodded and vanished. David turned to Roman. How do you deal with your crazy people? We have a word, nimbalang which describes the kind of man who pretends to be injured when the hunting party is setting out, then eats your food and tries to sleep with your wife. There are others, particularly the older, long in the teeth, but he is the most dangerous. And? Roman shrugged. Well, we go through the formality of reasoning with him, but it never works. The nimbalung just lies and makes promises and never changes. So we take him out hunting and mistake him for a deer. Roman pretended to shoot a bow and arrow. Bought you fine. And his family? There are lots of ways to communicate. We let everyone know that there was a terrible accident and offer some mild compensation to his widow and children if he has any. Everyone knows. No one says anything. That's the best way. And if his children seek revenge, thought David, but decided to wait. It was too soon to bring children into the most essential negotiation. You want to see how we do it? Only if I can ask questions on the way, said Roman in an oddly belligerent tone. I assume you want to go there for real. I want to see it with my own eyes. Roman held up his hands. I know, I know, the illusion is real, but you know what I mean. 
I wouldn't actually want to do this remotely, said David. This is an eyeball-to-eyeball thing. Chapter 19 They took a slow-moving sky taxi over the city. Buildings poked out of endless forests of high trees, like glass mountains out of green clouds. David said, Most people take sky taxis, but some of the older people still love walking, so we built some walkways for them. David smiled. Sorry, I couldn't remember the word for a moment. Let's drop down so you can see better. They descended to the treetops. Roman stared at the slender, shining buildings passing by. They were mostly composed of horizontal glass strips with solid ceilings and floors. He could see into beautiful interiors, various arrays of wood and glass, and marble pleased the eye. He shivered. I can't see any people in those dwellings. David nodded. Oh, you won't be able to. Who knows what's going on in there? Everyone wants the view and to display their own homes, but they don't want their neighbors to see what they're up to, so everyone has blinds, like a hologram of what people see when they look in your windows. There are people in there, but you won't be able to see them through the blinds. It's like an empty zoo, murmured Roman. David shrugged. Well, we work very hard to make sure everyone has good relationships, because there's no way you get to live to 130, or or would even want to, without friendship and love. Loneliness is just about the most extreme sport there is. Kills more than smoking used to centuries ago. They drifted by a flat, floating court, where two elderly men pounded a glowing winged ball back and forth over a net. It changed direction, seemingly at random. (laughs) Feather ball said David. You can curve the ball a little with your eyes. He turned to Roman. It actually makes me quite sad, thinking back to the old world, how lonely and isolated so many people were, and how few of them wanted or had kids towards the end. I guess they felt the cataclysms coming. I know that You complain to me about our virtual reality addicts, but they do have a community which feels as real to them as anything else. But in the past, people sat in sad little basement apartments and complained their lonely lives into nothing. In old Japan, there were entire crews that had to go and clean out the apartments of old dead people. People only noticed they were gone because of the smell. David's eyes got a faraway look. And these crews would... I always try to find some relative. and Maybe there would be a long-lost daughter who lived a thousand miles away. And they'd call her and report that her mother was dead. And she would sigh and tell them to pack up her dead mother's belongings and donate them to charity. She wouldn't even bother to come back. That's how broken and isolated people became towards the end. And everyone knew. Everyone felt it. Everyone saw it coming. The end. But no one could do anything. The system was so entrenched, the tentacles of fake currency and real control had wound around everyone's neck so tight that no one could breathe anymore. Not even enough to take a breath or scream. And there were these soft predators, the media, that sniffed for any rebellion or opposition and fell like a pack of jackals on anyone who tried to break free of the madness of the moment. Ah, it was an asylum back then. They got everything wrong. But anyone who noticed that the world was a madhouse was called evil and forced out of society. They 
broke. They're thinkers, the immune system of society, and then wondered why they kept getting sicker and sicker. David felt the words bubbling up from the depths of his being and decided not to stop them. They turned the education of their children over to evildoers and wondered why evil kept growing in their midst. I'm sure that's for me, whispered Roman, then raised his voice slightly, pointing. There is a river flowing through the air. David glanced over. Yeah, that's a sky pipe held up by air-blowing bots. That way it can be rerouted at will. We don't have to build or install any actual piping. David laughed. (laughs) Some truly adventurous souls have tried creating entire houses and buildings that way. (laughs) The bots keep the furniture in place, and you can literally walk on air. But we have found that there's a limit to the amount of weird, anti-sensual unreality that the human brain can coexist with. People... Never got quite used to walking on air, so it's more of a novelty than anything else. Look, the kids love it, though. Those trampoline parks are something else. We should check them out sometime. Roman stared at the slightly sloping sky river. It's actually kind of a relief to know that there are limits to this shared madness of a city. David smiled. Well, we have folks who believe that anything that holds us back from a complete merge with the machines is weird and Retroactive or, or, or conservative. They call machines the overman from an old philosopher. And we're supposed to be just the evolutionary bridge to the perfection of metal. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a bit of fun of it. But they're pretty serious, these gearheads. They view any hesitation about merging with the machines as a barrier to perfection, to be overcome like sin. Roman frowned. And you ask me what we do with crazy people? David smiles. They're not crazy. They can do some amazing things, but... It's too far for me, for sure. It started a long time ago, gosh, when there were analog phones. Some people spent half their lives with the telephone glued to their ear like an extra sense. And then there was the mad addiction to screen technology in the early 21st century. People used phones and tablets more than their own senses sometimes. So that kind of merging is nothing new. Go back even further to the invention of guns or swords even. And people used them as an extension of their own limbs and capacity for violence. A warrior without a sword is just a guy swinging at air. You don't chase down deer with your bare hands. Extending humanity with technology is nothing new. Roman scowled. Oh, we still use our own hands, our own eyes, our own touch and smell. Of course, you're much closer to the original human than we are. But the original human includes the capacity to extend humanity through technology. And you take part in that a little. We just do it a whole lot more. And some way more than me. David lowered his voice slightly. I do have some concerns about how we are messing with our own sense of reality with all of this technology, but we are nothing if not adaptable, and and people aren't going mad as yet, so fingers crossed. David saw something over David's shoulder and involuntarily gripped the younger man's arms. What the hell? David turned and saw an enormous, slender, curling dragon winging its way through the sky towards them. Its sinuous body was dappled with golden scales, and its wings, impossibly small, beat in a rapid blur like a hummingbird. Its black eyes seemed to stare at them, its mouth opening and closing like a deep-sea monster gasping for air. Long silver tendrils grew from behind the ears, floating in the air, being pulled forward randomly like the red ribbons of a gymnast in flight. 
You have drugged me, gasped Roman. I'm so sorry, said David, staring up at the golden scales as the slender dragon silently coursed overhead. The tail, ending in rainbow spikes, rippled as if swimming. That's a Chinese dragon, said David. We've tried to find enjoyable ways to deliver energy, and this year the engineers from Chinatown, look, look down, you can see the pagodas, won the contest, and the kids just love it. Last year it was a giant manta ray from the Aquanauts. Roman watched, open-mouthed as the dragon attached itself to a tall silver spire. It inserted its tail into a receptacle, and as they passed by, the golden scales vanished under a descending blackness, starting from the head. It's discharging, said David. Wave, he said, pumping his hand. Roman stood in silent stiffness as the Chinese dragon waved its tendrils back at them, burbling merrily. After a minute or two, he turned to David. So, uh, tell me about the place we are going. It's an asylum for people who have broken their brains, or had their brains broken by drugs or illness or injury. How do they break their own brains? David stared at him for a moment. That is a very big question. We prepare everyone for sanity and reason right from the start. We teach them to trust their senses. We feed them well. As nature intended, you'll be pleased to know with breast milk. And make sure that they bond with their parents. We teach them as much language as they can handle as early as possible, so we can start negotiating with babies at about 14 to 16 months. We don't yell at them. We don't hit them. We don't punish them. We don't confine them. We prepare them for the sieve, and most times they grow up speaking the language of reason in the same way that you know your language and I know mine. Roman scoffed. You don't punish your children, so there are no consequences for any bad deeds. David jumped to the edge of the sky taxi and pointed down. Look, a sky park! Creeping up behind David, Roman looked tentatively down. Below them, children's voices bellowed with delight as they leaped between various brightly colored structures, giant animals and planets in geometric shapes. Each time they landed, the surface compressed inwards, then threw them back out into the air. Off they fall! David laughed. Come on, every question you have we had decades ago. The guards picked them up and put them back. One young boy missed his grab at the white udders of a giant cow and giggled his plummeting way down to the trees. Roman flinched. David said, wait. A tiny silver machine, barely bigger than a watermelon, immediately zoomed down and, extending cushioned arms, picked the boy up and dropped him on the woolly back of an enormous sheep. David murmured, man, when Alice was small... Total memories. Roman scowled. I should have consequences. They learn nothing. It's an odd thing, murmured David, turning to the older man and staring at him directly. Do you really think that the only consequences for negative behavior are punishments? Let's say you do. What does that teach a child? It doesn't teach the child that the behavior is wrong, only that it is disapproved of and punished. If a boy hits a girl and you hit him, can you logically tell him that hitting is wrong? If a child takes another child's toy and you rip the toy from his hand, can you really say that taking things is wrong? All you're doing is teaching the child that he will get punished for certain behaviors, not that those behaviors are wrong. So he still wants to 
do these things. He just wants to avoid punishment. So he becomes furtive and, and avoidant. And he learns how to lie. And, well, you know, you're a parent. I'm sure it works the same way in your tribe. You yell at your kids. You hit your kids. And you get immediate compliance, followed by disobedience and escalation and lying, which you have to punish more and more. And before you know it, you end up with adults who are criminals. So you punish them more or turn them into warriors and teach them to attack those around you. This is almost all of human history, mindlessly boring, in my opinion, blindingly obvious in light of the present. Roman jumped back, seemingly involuntarily gripping the back of a white pew. That's crap! Total children who play with knives have to be taught not to play with knives, or they slice off a finger or stab their brother. He pointed a ferocious finger at David. Children in the wilderness have to be taught to stay close, to avoid the poisonous fruit, to not run where the ground is unstable. In your weird universe of maternal safety, airless to me and any other sane person, I guess you can let your children run wild because robots keep them safe. But out where we are, actions have real consequences, and those consequences can be infection or death, so we have to keep our children tough and controlled so that they stay alive. David nodded slowly. Yeah. In the old world, they talked about boiling water on a stove and children running into streets with cars you talk about children playing with knives. Why not just keep the knives away from them until they're old enough to understand the danger? In the old world, why didn't they just turn the handles of the boiling pots away from the kids? Why didn't they just build fences between their children and the roads? He laughed sadly. No. It was all just an excuse for them, as I think it is for you. He paused. You were hit as a child. Roman stretched himself up proudly. I damn well was, and I damn well deserved it. I didn't listen. I was defiant. I disobeyed, and I paid the consequences, and it helped me survive. Give me an example. David's tone was gentle. Why? We are negotiating. Roman compressed his lips. I stole an axe when I was little, maybe four I cut down a tree that my father had planted in honour of my mother. Not a tree, of course, like a sapling. He beat me after death. I never took anything after that. He just had to look at me. And I knew. David said, Did you love your father? Roman cocked his head. Who knows? It wasn't his job to be loved or lovable. His job was to teach me to survive, to keep me safe and be respected. And I damn well did respect him. He was made of oak. You've never seen such an hard worker. Always sacrificing, always... Roman's head snapped up suddenly. Why are you digging around in here? You want me to say that I had it hard? Yeah, I had it hard. So I became hard, which is what is needed. You're like, like a rabbit in the woods rolling its eyes at a fish for having gills. We live in different environments, different worlds. You can coddle your kids because you have the robot guards. We face nature alone. We have to be strong. David murmured. You know my answer to that one. But I will stop digging if it makes you uncomfortable. Roman held up a warning finger. Don't do that. That crap. I don't talk about the past. I don't dig up my father to parade him in front of your goal to make me a monster. I told you. I don't think you're a monster. Dangerous to kids? Yes, but so is a wolf. I don't think a wolf is a monster. Roman narrowed his eyes. Try comparing me to an animal again. Try it. You're right. I'm sorry. That was 
unfair and unjust. Roman stared at him, then suddenly smiled. <laughs> Duel! David started, what? The older warrior laughed. Oh, don't sound so scared. I wasn't challenging you. I just remembered your question about how we deal with crazy people. We have duels, especially about insults to honour. If we were in the woods, we would have already had about 12 duels, you and I. But I'm in your house now, so we go by your softy rules. What do you do if one man insults another? David shook his head and smiled. We are all about free speech. Free speech is the early warning system of any healthy society. But because we don't raise children with verbal abuse, verbal harshness, they don't have that habit. Like, you don't know how to program a computer because you weren't raised with computers. David walked his fingers up Roman's forearm. The older man jerked his arm away. But who knows? This whole thing could be one giant virtual reality simulation. Hey! exclaimed Roman, odd fear in his voice. You, you told me that you don't mess with people's belief in their senses. I said that about kids. And if I treated you like a kid, you would challenge me to a duel for sure. Roman grunted, looking away. How much longer? David imitated a child's whine. Are we there yet? Roman was silent. David said, Everyone in the past thought that they understood human nature, but they didn't. People said, oh, humanity is like this or that, but they were like biologists in a zoo, imagining that they know anything about the animals in the wild. Human beings were caged animals until the present, until the sieve. That's not even an analogy. If you ever look at a map or a globe of the old world, David's flat hands sliced the air, the world was divided into countries, which were really Tax farms where people were kept as human livestock for the sick profits of their owners. They were indoctrinated by the state, bullied by the media, drugged by the doctors. And if they questioned or opposed any of this, they were insulted, and slandered, and lied about, and banished from society. They were crazed animals back then. And genuinely, many of them thought of themselves as free. David shuddered might be a kind of old memory or, or something that trickles down the giant staircase of the generations. But I sometimes have nightmares of waking up in the old world. It's if I could be frozen and, and, and sent back in time 500 years. And I have to see all of the brain-punching daily disasters of the world that was, knowing that the slow-moving tsunami of inevitable horrors was creeping closer every day while I was chained to the sinking ship of my society. To have knowledge about the unstoppable dominance of evil and to be able to do absolutely nothing about it. Well, that's hell. Hell on earth, man. And I don't know how people actually functioned back then. How did they get out of bed? How did they face the day? How could they sleep at night? There was a moment's silence as the two men fell back in time. We know these stories, murmured Roman. You and I, the sieve and a clan. A fork's in the road from the cataclysms, from the very worst time in history. You all went up into the clouds with your machines, making rivers run through the sky and touching through the breath of tiny robots. We went down into the earth, into the old ways. We are all just 
existing in the aftershock of every terrible thing that was. And I would rather see my entire tribe perish than go anywhere near any path that led back to that hell. The two men stared at the slightly reddening sun. David had an absurd impulse to take the older man's hand. as two men staring over the hellscape of human history, but knew it was an impossible gesture. Suddenly, out of the blinding sun, a group of men and women swooshed down over the white pews, whooping and calling out greetings. They had long sticks on their feet and gripped slender poles in their hands. Their legs bent from side to side like pendulums. Their faces were covered with enormous clear masks. <laughs> Skyers, said David. Sky skiers. The breath bots create the feel of snow under their skis. Roman scowled. Again, they cannot fall. David shook his head. Oh, oh no, they can, just not all the way down. The guy at the front, red hat, he's a client of ours, currently training to cross the Pacific on skis. As the whooping men and women swished down into the treetops, Roman turned to David. What do people do with their time? Roman nodded. David shrugged. We are a striving species. We didn't get to the top of the food chain by lazing around. That job's already taken by the alligators. I have a pretty good view of this, since most activities here have to be insured. People have hobbies. They get together for projects big and small. I know a guy who's trying to figure out time travel with a bunch of his friends. I think it's a total waste of time, but I'm no expert. I mean, if you travel back a year, you just end up exploding in space because the Earth has moved on. There are historians creating entire VR recreations so people can truly understand and learn from history. We are really the first group ever to have a relatively unbiased view of the past because in the past, the victors always wrote the history, while now... The modern world exists only because no one won the cataclysms. The sieve is what comes into existence when humanity loses completely. We can finally tell the truth because no one is profiting from lies. There's no ruling class that needs to control the narrative so we can come the closest to objective history. Are you actually paid by the word? David laughed. (laughs) I'm paid at work to be concise. This verbosity is more of a hobby. People have hobbies and artistic pursuits. They love sports and exploration. And there's a whole group of people trying to figure out how to improve the VR experiences on other planets. We've been to them, but they're unbelievably boring. Mars is just a red sandbox. Venus is hopeless, just an acid soup around a big rock. Mercury is basically just a giant asteroid. The asteroid belt is like trying to navigate with giant black ship-crushing rocks all around you. Some of the moons of Jupiter can be quite pretty, but you really have to enhance what you're looking at because the sun is so far away. Nobody's tried to land on the surface of Jupiter because there isn't one really. Out past Jupiter, things get too dark to see without assistance, and you just end up staring at a computer screen rather than the thing itself. We've done this solar system for the most part, and there's... Not much there of any interest. At least for tourists, asteroid mining is massive. We get a huge amount from that. It's a good thing that Bitcoin came along and replaced gold because the value of gold would have dissolved into nothing with the amount we're finding in asteroids. Some people are working on human gills. Don't even ask me how they work. And there are other people who want to graft giant wings onto people's shoulders so they can fly without mechanical assistance. David sighed. 
I guess I'm old-fashioned enough to find that just a little creepy, but I bet the experience must be amazing. Some people love to climb. There's an entire sport of climbing under random gravity, which just seems kind of masochistic to me, but I'm probably too old for it anyway. There are people who like to explore the oceans, aquanauts they're called. They're finding some amazing life down there. The, the real aliens are underwater, not in outer space. There's an entire club dedicated to raising shipwrecks and restoring them, turning them into restaurants and museums. There's a huge group that is trying to find, document, and bury all of the victims of democide, murder by states, an unholy number of people counting the cataclysms. That's a hell of a project. They're, they're pretty somber. There's another group of hardcore scientists who are looking to repair and enhance human genetics, particularly IQ for obvious reasons. I could go on, but when people are freed from the need to earn their daily bread, well, we get quite a lot of civilization out of that. A lot of art and history and knowledge and exploration and science. After a while, the sky taxi gently coasted up to a wide set of white stairs that led to a tall, peaked, pale blue building that looked vaguely like an ancient cathedral. David jumped out. Okay, we're here. The madhouse awaits. <laughs>